for the Arts is a vibrant cultural and artistic gathering spot in historic downtown Faribault. The Paradise is committed to offering high-quality visual and performing art opportunities for Faribault and our region. Regular events spotlight some of the best artists and musicians in our area and throughout Minnesota and the Upper Midwest. Our beautifully restored facility includes art galleries, classrooms, clay and textile labs, a gift shop and rehearsal spaces, in addition to a 300-seat auditorium. Visit ParadiseCenterForTheArts.org for a full schedule of events or call our box office at 507-332-7372. Art Zany, Radio for the Imagination, with your host, Paula Granquist, is brought to you by the Northfield Arts Guild and by the Paradise Center for the Arts. And now, Art Zany, Radio for the Imagination. Good morning. This is Paula Granquist, and you're tuned in to Art Zany, Radio for the Imagination. Thanks for joining us today as we look at all things creating and share stories together. And of course, we tune our imaginations, which is one of the greatest things that I love doing. And today, I just didn't know where to begin. There are so many places to start today's opening story. And I thought that you might relate to this. You know, I could begin with the death of my grandfather, or the shocking death of a classmate in third grade. Or maybe I could start with how I walked into the kitchen the other day and thought how I felt really bad about my bananas that had gone black. (laughs) I could share with you the English class I took in college that introduced me to the concept of ambiguous loss and unresolved grief from the great Pauline Boss. And of course, we just celebrated Memorial Day, and I could share with you the stories from the family cemetery tour that we went on. Or we could exchange all the ways that we each felt disappointed during the time of the pandemic. Or I could talk about what I think makes a good obituary, and we could ponder why we read them. Of course, there's also the way we feel about time and how it speeds up as we get older. And then there are the bucket lists to consider. But first I've got to figure out how to start the show and finish the to-do list and plan dinner. Then I'll tell you the story. If you can't tell today, we're going to talk about the stories that matter the most and talk about when is it a good time to talk about loss, death, and dying. And there's so many things that we want to do or we feel like we need to do in our lives that this sometimes gets pushed away. But of course, the truth is that the stage of life we call dying is all around us each day. And this idea of death is hard to ponder and explore when it's part of our story. So that's why we need a guide, and I'm very honored today to have a conversation with today's Art Zany Radio guest. In the studio, I have author and certified death midwife, Barbara Krauss. Welcome to Art Zany Radio. Good morning, Paula, and thank you. Yes, it's a delight to have you here. You have a new book series called Sacred Bonds, which explores loss, death, and dying. And I want to make sure you all know that she's giving a book talk at the Northfield Public Library on June 3rd. That's Saturday, on 2023, at uh, 10 o'clock in the morning. And that is at the Northfield Public Library in the Bunday Room. And it's going to introduce this new series. And you can get more details about Barbara and her work in the thickofthings.com is the name of the website. 
And uh, we'll talk a little bit more about the library presentation as we go on. But this series, Sacred Bonds, Seeking Light, Gathering Light, Becoming Light, is a collection that culminates 11 years of observation, anecdotal evidence, personal and others' life interactions, research and listening to people regarding what matters most to them about this topic of loss, death, and dying, and why we can all be a bit hesitant to share in this journey. And she's a certified death midwife also, and so she works with clients using her knowledge and experiences to help them transform their fears and anxieties and helps people heal and awaken their innate wisdom through divinely inspired conversations and narratives and certified death midwife companionship, energy healing, and intuition. It's a really important job, and I'm so delighted that we are here to share your story and I don't, you know, sometimes where to begin is, is one of the difficult questions that, that, that when it comes to this topic, but let's start with uh, you and how this topic entered your life and how you moved to making this a focus and, and a central piece of, of your experiences and commitments to, to the world. So tell us. Yes. About 11 years ago, I got what I call a nudge from my higher power, uh, that I give the name of source. Uh, Other people may say God or nature or spirit. But it was probably around 4.30, I remember, and I was wide awake. And I kept feeling, not hearing words, but feeling as if there was something important I needed to pay attention to. And when that happens to me, I have to get up. Because if I don't write it down, then I forget it by 7 when I wake up. And so that particular time, I was getting this nudge that I needed to work with people on loss, death, and dying and to use my imagination to also use my healing and, and as well as my way of dealing with people, my demeanor. And I thought, oh... (laughs) <laughs> this, this, you don't have the right person here, Source. Not me. <laughs> I, I cry at the drop of a hat. I feel deeply. I just, I, I couldn't help anybody going through a, a time of loss, death, and dying because of that. And yet, those nudges kept coming to me more often, as well as stronger. And finally, after six months of denying, making up excuses why it wasn't right for me, I decided, okay, if you think I'm the one for this source, then I will do it. And I started writing blogs, and probably two 500-word blogs a week, and it just flowed out of me, and I thought, oh, I don't have that much to say about death and dying. What's happening here? But I realized that it was coming through me. And so I worked with that for a while, and then the next thing I knew it was, oh, it's time to work with workshops now. You need to get this out to people, not only in the written word, but through interaction. Mm -hmm. So I started working with that, And um, I have a series right now that I'm putting online through the help of my husband, Paul. And it is um, the Sacred Bonds group like like this, but it's called Reemergence Workshops. And it's beginning the journey, going deeper, 
and the Remergence Toolkit. So I am currently putting part two and three together and uh, transforming them into the format of online and soon they will be available. Um, as far as dealing with people, I also thought that I should want to do more than just talk about this. I should study, and so I worked through becoming a death midwife and uh, took a course in which I was certified, and then it was a matter of working with people. And so um, I have a story about that. If you would like to hear that, of course, yeah. This is, it's a it's a challenging topic for people, and I think it's kind of a new idea, even uh, to many people. And I think that kind of trying to help people understand what this work is 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 important. So, mm -hmm. go ahead and share. Okay, um, I worked with a woman, and this is a fictional name, Martha, who was a gardener. And uh, she had COPD, which is chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, or the constriction of the airways, and so she had a very hard time breathing. And what I did for her was I set sacred space and gave healing energy to her husband and her faithful dog. Maybe I should tell you a little bit more about setting sacred space. It's a ritual that connects humans to nature. Nature is sacred, as are the cycles of birth and death, as well as all of life. Setting sacred space involves using the four elements of the universe, air, fire, water, and earth. And each element has a certain characteristic. For example, air represents mind, the winds of the east, and the color yellow. And an example of that would be a book. In setting sacred space, then, for one who is dying, or has died, I use objects that hold special meaning for that person. In the case of Martha, I borrowed stones from the Garden of Quiet Listening at Carleton College, where she was a gardener. The stones symbolized earth, ancestors, stability, routine, and loyalty, all of which described Martha. I offered healing energy then to Martha's husband to sustain him through that difficult time and also to their dog who was suffering from anticipatory grief. I offered love energy as I placed my hands on the dog and he was less lethargic. While we're still on the idea of death midwives, um, what is a death midwife, actually? I offer emotional, spiritual, and practical care, education, and advanced care planning assistance. Things like household support, respite care, bereavement support, and even a celebrant for celebration of life services like the sacred space. I recently became NEDA, N-E-D-A, proficient, which stands for the National End-of-Life Doula Alliance. This additional certification assures prospective clients and their families, as well as hospices and other organizations, that the doula or death midwife has demonstrated a standardized level of achievement and is proficient in their core competencies, communication, professionalism, knowledge, and values and ethics.
Well, it's a fascinating experience. And, you know, all of us at some point have experienced uh, a death around us in some way. But it's often something that's really difficult for people to, to talk about because I think a lot of times uh, we don't, in, in between times, there's not conversations about uh, death or, or you know, the, our, our own death or the death of loved ones or friends. And so then it happens and you're kind of thrown into it in the midst. And I think, would you advocate then for... Uh, you know, having helping people to have these conversations before they're in the middle of something. It, I, I sense that's important. Yes, absolutely. Um, they're difficult, absolutely. Um, however, I think when you think about yourself dying and you try to imagine what that might be like, if you don't do something to prepare for it, then what will happen for your loved ones? And so really, when, when you're the person who's contemplating death and dying, you're thinking about your loved ones. If you're coming from the viewpoint of being a loved one, then you have to say, okay, this is all about my mom, or this is about my grandpa who is di- who's dying. Um, and I think those conversations then become just a tad easier. Nothing is ever easy about death and dying, but it is a way for you to bond with the person. Maybe you need to ask for forgiveness. Um, Also, to show your love and support. And many times we have estrangements happening in our families, and then when the time comes to leave the planet, we don't know what to do because we've been separate for so long. But that's okay, because you take it from where you are at that moment, and you move forward. You open your heart. How do you open your heart? You begin to soften, because if you have something bothering you in your heart, there's usually a pain in the middle of your chest, and you can feel that, and if you don't address it, it just keeps getting stronger. If you work with it, meaning sitting with yourself and just saying, what is it about this situation, this relationship that is troubling me? And see what happens, what comes to you, and then deal with that. I think that's a good way to start. Um, Being very quiet with yourself is something that is not in the Western way of looking at things. We really like to hurry up and get it over with. And I think taking time for yourself to figure out what is it about my life right now, my philosophy, my love for others that I would like to share with my family and make sure that they know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and this work has uh, been something that you focused on for a, a while. And so how did the, uh, the publication of Sacred Bonds come along? And tell me a little bit. There's It's a three-part book, and there's uh, different. The, the first one is Seeking Light, and then we have Gathering Light and Becoming Light are the sections. And so how did it become this series, and how did you select those particular divisions? Mm. 
Well, it started out with the first book, Seeking Light, as being a compilation of my blogs. And I thought, okay, I can put this together because that's how I started, by blogging. And um, the whole idea of the umbrella, the title of my, or name of my business, In the Thick of Things, seemed to say, all right, how are we part of being in that chaos? And what do we need to do? Well, we need to seek what's happening. We need to seek our, our greater good, if you will, our, our, all of our, um, oh, our higher power for some help because we can't think of things and solve things at the same level that they were begun at. And so um, we need to seek, and it's easier to look outside of ourselves first. And so that's what the book Seeking Light is all about. Um, external ways of finding source of your higher power in your daily life. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I found the, the, the essays to be really quite captivating and they are you know just the short pieces and so you can you know read them and then you know ponder think about it. it's not daunting it's it's very accessible you have beautiful artwork that's included with many of the sections and it's um, just relatable topics and and insights and quotes and mm -hmm. journeys and there's it's a it's a very um, just delightful uh, examination of what's around us and trying to help us tune into uh, those moments or those times where, where you might be able to find, you know, just what you need if, you, if you're paying attention. Right. The, the Sacred Bonds piece is really about revered relationships. Everything is about relationships when we're talking about death and dying. Mm -hmm. And actually, I think life is all about relationships. And so um, the idea is, is to be able to uh, look at how can we find source in these relationships. And um, there are three, one, three relationships that you start with, and that would be with your higher power, God, source, spirit, with your ego and or your higher self, and also with death. And then finally, after glimpsing those relationships through the three books, you are able to look at that paradigm of Western, how we're looking at death and dying, to hurry up and get it over with. <laughs> and instead, try to replace it with, take your time. Death is not an emergency. It is not an enemy, nor does it mean failure. It's a natural part of the wholeness of life. So when we are looking at the books, and the first one in particular, I chose a symbol of the lotus flower. And so there's symbolism on the covers of the books in the form of a spiral, which is your independent spiritual journey, and then also of the colors. So you have the pink, which is known as spiritual life, and you also have the blue, which uh, talks about the throat, center of the body, and communication. So all of these things and the light that's there gets brighter with each book. So all of these have meaning. 
And then that symbolism spills over into the content of the book, too. And as I mentioned, the lotus in the first book, Seeking Light, is a tight bud. Well, aren't we all like that? We are maybe a little frightened. We don't know the questions to ask about a higher power. But we know there's something more and that it's more than what our physical senses can tell us. So then we move on to uh, the second book and we look at opening up into a lotus flower because now we're gathering more information. We're looking at ourselves internally and how do we find source and what, what is the interplay internally with source. And then finally, the becoming light is the full light-filled blossom. And that is where we now have that knowledge. We have the feelings that go along with it. And we're able to feel like we are open. We are one with Source, our higher power. Yeah, it's it's a, a beautiful journey as, as you go through these books. And maybe we should take a look at some examples from uh, the, the books to... Uh, let people know a little bit. This is Sacred Bonds, Seeking Light, Gathering Light, Becoming Light. And um, here with Barbara Krause today on Arts Annie Radio. She's going to have an event at the Northfield Public Library on Saturday, June 3rd at 10 a.m. from 10 to 11.30 at the, uh, in the Bunday Room. And it's a book talk by Barbara. And she's going to introduce these topics and um, get us to, uh, you know, kind of begin to enter that conversation of loss and death and dying and uh you know sort of maybe make it help reduce some of the anxieties tell us a little about what you what you want to um accomplish at that book talk yes um i think just getting people first of all to even talk about death and dying <laughs> or catch their attention to say oh yes there is that, <laughs> that elephant in the room. And then to learn that it's not all doom and gloom. I mean, we, we all know of situations when someone has died, when it's been very, very difficult, mm -hmm. a difficult, difficult death. And yet that is not the norm. Most people do have a type of death where they feel comfortable with their loved ones around them, they may be suffering some on the inside, but they feel like they are surrounded by love and acceptance, and I think that helps them a great deal. Um, I also think that death, well, when we are thinking about it, there, each, each day we have, each person has about 60,000 thoughts that go through their minds. And 80% of those thoughts are negative. Just now, think about that. That's a lot of thoughts and a lot of negative things. So having conversations now about death and dying, being curious about it, I think not so much of, oh, it's going to get me, or if I talk about it, it'll happen mm -hmm. sooner. But having conversations with yourself that says, I wonder about this. Let me get some facts about it. Let me find out, you know, what's happening and what it might be like. Eventually, I want to write a ritual that helps people to pretend 
to imagine <laughs> your favorite word that they are dying before the fact and see how that makes them feel um, Eastern monks will always do that the night be when they go to bed they will pretend as if this is their last night mm. and they will not awake to see the morning and they think about what's important to them and I think allowing ourselves to open and say okay you know I've planned for every other event and milestone in my life this is another milestone and so let me look into how I might see and plan for that how might I prepare for that mm-hmm yeah it's I mean it's the parallel between how, or or maybe the contrast is the better word between what we think about when we have a birth and how that's celebrated and anticipated and prepared for and you know people are uh you know that's 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 a familiar ritual and uh and that is something where where i think the word doula or midwife you know comes up more frequently now and people are more comfortable with mm-hmm. asking for help with that but this whole whole idea of the other known that we have <laughs> which is death is less comfortable for people yes and i think sometimes our heritage our culture gets in the way of that or dictates how we how we approach it. Mm-hmm. Um, I know I started a group in town, oh, it might have been maybe oh, seven or eight years ago, uh, but definitely pre-pandemic, and it was called Death Cafe. <laughs> and I had probably a number of people who actually showed up, but when I was doing the inviting, I started with friends and acquaintances. And I remember saying to one particular person, you know, I'd love to have you come for this. And we're just going to talk about everything that's death-related, and we're going to eat cake. <laughs> because Death Cafe, that's what you do. <laughs> death Cafe was started by someone in the U.K., uh, John Underwood. And he brought it over here, and then we have it all over, you know, actually all over the world now. Um, but the whole idea was people, when I was inviting them, said, well... And one particular person said, it's my birthday, because I was holding it on a Sunday. It's my birthday. Why would I want to talk about death on my birthday? What was your answer? That's a really good question. Yes. And I said, well, Mary, not her real name, it's important to underline what is valuable to you and what better time than your birthday to think of value and what is it is exciting for you, what makes you feel most reverent, what makes you have a relationship, an important relationship with others. So um, it's not easy. Uh, it's, it's one of these things where people don't want to talk about it. But what I have found in my experience is once we start talking in small groups, uh, say, the idea might be um, your first brush with death. Most people haven't thought about that for years. And all of a sudden, something comes forward. And they always have a choice of not of passing. They don't need to talk in the group if they don't choose to. 
And I think with the exception of one person, everybody has always spoken up about something. Mm-hmm. And you can just read the body language, start to relax as they talk about it. Um, you know, the arms are no longer folded. Um, you don't see people leaning back in their chairs, but now they're starting to lean forward toward the other people in the group. Yeah, it's a so universal it's, uh, experience. It and, is a community and building. It is, mm-hmm. and we all share it and all have it, but it is sort of a, a, a there's there's a hesitancy, a, a anxiety, a, a you know, a, a I'll get to that later feeling, mm-hmm. and um, so this work is really important, mm-hmm. and, and and I think what might surprise people is that the. Uh, at least the the essays in in the first are often uh you know funny and <laughs> amusing and you know uh relatable uh, so it's not all a serious uh it can be everything right right, right. i'll read an excerpt that i took from my parents actually and uh that i found to be quite funny um i think the other piece to this is death is it's, it's the meaning that we put on it mm. that I think creates more of our fear than anything else. And I, I don't mean to be flippant about that. It's not, oh, yeah, there it goes. Oh, yeah, he did this. He left. He it's not that. It's more a case of what do I feel about death? What has it what could it possibly teach me, if anything? Because we we are in a hurry to get rid of death. Um, and so maybe you could learn more about, you know, your grandpa at the time or, or your cousin just by being with them. Mm-hmm. And even if they aren't talking, you might have a chance to even hear stories about them from another family member and you'd never been aware of those stories. So it's a time for bonding. It's a time for becoming closer as far as forgiveness for things. Um, forgiveness is a daily idea. Um, most of us think, well, if there's a travesty that happens, we forgive it and we're done, a one and done. And that's not the case at all. Mm-hmm. Every day you need to forgive yourself for things as well as others things that you know happened Mm -hmm. um, small and large anyway I do have uh, something that I'd like to read it's called even better and it's from the seeking light book and again these are true stories either my own or stories that I have uh, heard from other people but they're all true stories and it's finding source God or spirit externally and in this case Finding source through a foot and hand massage. Truly, source is all around and within us. Even better. How about a foot massage? I asked my octogenarian parents, who sat in the privacy of their living room recliners. Not me, that's women's stuff, (laughs) Dad answered, not surprisingly. I'm game, said my mother with a sparkle in her eyes. Let's do it. I found my lavender essential oil and towel. Dad returned to his paper while Mom settled into the leather chair and closed her eyes. Ooh, 
Ah, oh yeah, so good, was soon heard over the TV anchor's voice. Doll, exclaimed my dad, a term of endearment he had called her for years. For goodness sakes, it can't be that thrilling. He looked somewhat embarrassed. It took Mom a few seconds to come out of her euphoria. Oh, even better. Foot and hand massages are exquisite ways to connect with others. A quiet yet powerful language, they have the potential to deliver several important messages. I love you. I am here for you. Just relax. Your anxiety is gone. I want to make you comfortable. You matter to me. Touch connects us emotionally and strengthens our human bond. Touch is a gift to both the receiver and giver. As we touch through massage, we cannot help but wonder about stories that hands or feet might share if they could. Thank you. That's a, a lovely, a lovely uh, excerpt. And it, it does show how it's simple acts are a part of the process. It's not this grand, like, you know, oh, I go in the field and the lightning and <laughs> I get it. <laughs> it's, it's just a repetition of really small acts. Well, things we don't think about either. Mm. And that you can find a higher power in these small things. Um, as you were saying, you don't have to go out and, and do some great and glorious thing to find God. Um, and yet, I, you know, people had... People dismiss things like that. They think, oh, it's not possible. You know, it all has to be big, and it has to be something that is profound. Not that it couldn't be, but often in just the very small things is where you find God first. Mm -hmm. And that's what this series does is to sort of open your eyes to those things. One of my favorites that I, I read um, was you changed my, the way I look at the story of Little Red Hen, <laughs> uh, <yes>. yes. <laughs> which is you know a classic uh, children's book. You have you were reading it to to one of your grandchildren, mm -hmm. and uh, it it um, I guess I'd never seen that perspective. So maybe you could share a little bit about your discoveries of that's uh, uh, one fifty eight. <laughs> okay, yeah. Um, because I think you know that's uh, sometimes it's it's changing our own perspective that needs to, you know, shift as opposed to um, waiting for it to happen to us, if that makes sense, you know, just to uh, maybe flip things a little bit or alter what we're experiencing, seeing, witnessing, hearing, mm -hmm. living that uh, helps us to see things in a new light. Yes, this story actually is about medical aid and dying, which is very timely right now. For the well, since 2015, we have had in legislature a bill to pass medical aid and dying, which offers people the option of having a cocktail that will induce their death when they have been certified medically by two different doctors that they are terminally ill and that they will not recover in any way or form. Um, the person who is dying also has to be able to be able to take that cocktail for themselves 
And um, so a person who who has maybe a feeding tube or does not have the ability to swallow would not qualify for that. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, I was at a meeting uh, for this organization, Medical Aid and Dying, and we do have one here in Northfield. Uh, Mary Carlson over at St. Olaf College has been leading it, and um, we keep working on these bills to get it passed here in Minnesota to have that choice. It, uh, medical aid and dying so far is available in 11 jurisdictions throughout the United States. And we, Oregon has had it for about 25 years, this law, and they have never had any abuse of it, never. And so, again, giving people an option, it's not for everyone, but for those who are in excruciating pain, um, ALS, pancreatic cancer, who cannot be relieved of that pain and live with it 24-7, it's extremely difficult and sad and painful for those watching. So I was at a meeting for, for this group, and um, it, it occurred to me that what was happening was that it takes what I would call radical acceptance and courage to pursue this. And so there was a woman at the meeting who was talking about um, a Canadian, John Shields. And this person had offered personal reflections on his decision to end his life, uh, even though he had the blessings of his family. And so he was suffering from a hereditary form uh, of amyloidosis, which, among other symptoms, causes his heart, heart to stop periodically. And so he was in Canada, and Canada had approved this uh, medical aid in dying in June of 2016. But um, it, it takes love and vision to go along with this. It also, when, when people think about medical aid in dying, often they think only about themselves. And if they no longer have their loved one with them, it makes their life more sad. But they don't ever think about the loved one who is suffering mm. and what that must be like for that loved one. So it's always, I always say to people, a time of dying is not about you, it's about the person dying. And if you have had conversations with that individual, to see what their wishes are and what they feel like and what they want and honor those, it makes a huge difference. It brings people together. Otherwise, as you were saying earlier, you know, a sudden diagnosis comes around and there you are and you don't know what to do and everyone is just nervous and crying, which is normal. It's just that it could be different. It could be different. And to make it as positive as possible for everyone involved, including the medical staffs, um, I think is important. Yeah, let's talk about how the little red hen uh, plays into that story. Dear, <laughs> yeah, it's been a little bit since I've read this. So, um, well, it's just it's such a, yeah. a, a story about uh, the little red hen had a, a an idea that nobody wanted to accept. And that um, I'm trying to remember the story to myself. Well, the little red hen asked for help 
to right. plant to but, plant wheat to make bread. And nobody in the barnyard wants to help her. And they go through every one. And finally, at the end, she said, I have to do it myself. Okay. <laughs> and then after she bakes the bread, everyone gets excited. All the animals want to eat it, of course. They want the finished product. But nobody wanted to do anything about it. So they were happy to just stay on the sidelines and watch and let the little red hen do all the work. And I think the idea here is that it's easier and simpler for us to say, okay, that's, a, that's an idea that's different from what I'm familiar with, medical aid in dying, a choice when you're at that stage and nothing can be done for you. But you take care of it. You promote it. You do what you can do, and then we'll see what happens. Right, because Little Red Hen always says, "Not uh, the, everybody around her says, not I, not I. Right, right. <laughs> and I think, you know, we have many, many nurses, many, especially from hospice. Uh, if you go to the Compassion and Choices website, compassionandchoices.org, you will find all kinds of stories from people who are who have suffered and they share these stories to let people know what it's really and truly like to be suffering and they have many tools there that i recommend it can help you uh, work through dementia uh, it can help you i think they even have something about writing an obituary so there are lots of tools there that can help people See and that, that website again so folks yeah, can hear com that. Compassion and Choices, all written out, dot org. And people can also go to your website, in the thick of things, dot com, where I bet you have some links and tools and ideas for people as well. I have definitely ideas and I'm working on links. <laughs> so. <laughs> Yeah, it, it's it's a really important topic, and I think, um, you know, the more that we bring it forth and, you know, uh, let people uh, ha take the time, like you mentioned, um, uh, to put that, that space for that in their world, right, to uh, let us think, you know, well, what, what, you know, what, what is my journey, and, you know, all of us ha know that there's going to be an end, right, but we don't always think that it could be us or that it could be soon or that it could be hard or you know so there's a lot of things that that we block out or yes. let other things take a place and so I think you're just trying to help people sort of seek that and to uh, you know have a different experience than what they might think they have to have right and to know that that is possible I think people feel I'll just give it over my dying, give it over to the professionals, and that will be that. Mm -hmm. And whatever they recommend, that's what I'll do. But you know, really as little as 125 years ago, Paula, we were caring for our dead and our loved ones ourselves. And it wasn't until the Civil War, 1865, when Lincoln was assassinated and the embalming started. Oh, I didn't realize yes. that was the beginning of it. And that is how they would take the president's body and uh, so that people could pay respects to him. 
Mm-hmm. And in order to do that, he had to have the embalming fluid. So that was the beginning of it, and it's just mushrooms since then. And I think those of us who were in the baby boomer age where we had the natural childbirth advocates advocacy are now approaching the other end of our lives, and we're saying, hey, there's a different way to work with death and dying here. We want more natural burials, which are known by many as green burials. Um, we, we don't need all of, all of the toxins because we also care for our earth. And all the embalming fluids and the steel and the caskets and so forth, all of this is very hard on Mother Earth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're right. That actually is an, an aspect um, that you know can get people to begin that conversation, mm-hmm. thinking about those. So there's entry points for people um, in all different ways, and um, this is it's such a, a, a lovely book, and it's been such uh, a great thing to hear from you. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about the library event so people can know um, it's a free event. It's on Saturday, um, June 3rd at 10 a.m. in the Bunday room, which is the big room down on the main floor. It's tomorrow. Tomorrow, (laughs) right. Or today if you're listening to the repeat. And uh, you'll be talking about these books. And what can people expect? People might be thinking, I'm not sure if I should go. (laughs) Well, what I, you know, a lot of what we've talked about today is some of it. Um, but I do more readings of excerpts. So you'll be hearing from uh, each of the three books. And then I talk a little bit about how I got into this. And also, um, I, there are testimonials from people who read the books when I was first putting them together. So that would have been uh, last June, January, January. <laughs> and... Um, so some of those are available. You know, I'll be talking about those so that they can hear what other people thought as well. And then just, I think, how people, what they can do right now for themselves to start thinking about death and dying or for a loved one uh, in that situation and to realize that it's not an emergency. It's not failure. It just is. It's a natural part of how we work with life, how we are in life. And so, you know, birth is the beginning, and death is the end of this part of our life. We may, it depends on if you believe in an afterlife or not. I happen to. And I think that, you know, it allows us to remerge. So I have revelation, release, and remergence are my three RE words. What is revealed to us throughout these books, throughout the presentation tomorrow, um, what is then um, released? In other words, what things, stories do I have that maybe aren't serving me any longer? Maybe I need to change my story. And so we talk a lot about different stories, excerpts that I, from not only from the books, but then from my life that I talk about. And um, then revelation, which again is when your spirit leaves your body and becomes one with the great beyond, source, God. And, you know, none of us knows what that will be like. 
I feel like I have been intuitively guided. And so in the third book, I uh, Becoming Light, I have written some meditations, nine of them, that is from the perspective of someone dying. And I felt intuitively led to do that. And then the last part of that same book uh, works with bridges, which is um, letters that I wrote to my mother as she was dying of Alzheimer's in 2014. And I would call her and read one to her each time. Do we have time for that? Yeah, we can do it. Quite a maybe a short one? Short excerpt. Okay, sure. very good. And this one is called Circle of Birth and Death. So it might be a good way to end. And you personalize these with the person's name who is dying as well as the person who is reading. So, hello, Mom. This is Barbara. You know me. I speak directly to your eternal higher self. I love you and I'm here to support you on your journey to the light, your journey home. I am Circle of Birth and Death. I take your hand and put my arm around your shoulders. You feel warmth and comfort. I am here for you. You look at me and we smile. At birth, you are on the threshold of the unknown. Join potential, excitement in what experiences lay ahead, and the realization of abundant love. With undeveloped awareness, how would your life unfold? Give thanks for the experiences and connections that become yours. For breath, vibrancy, compassion, and lessons that made you more resilient. Your essence is eternal. There is no one else like you. You are precious to me. Let us be together as good friends. I am the circle of birth and death. Your higher self knows to walk toward the light. I think there's people out there who needed or wanted to hear that today. So I thank you for sharing that. I think it's a, um, a really uh, beautiful series and uh, your work is really important. So I'm glad I could highlight that here today and we can you know, help people to make this, as you said, just one of the things in our life circle. Thank you so much, Paula. Uh, it helps to reach as many people who are ready to listen. That's right. And so, folks, I, I want to thank Barbara Kraus, author of the Sacred Bonds series, and um, hope that you'll connect with her through either In the Thick of Things or some of the workshops and events that you're doing. And you can purchase these books. Uh, they're available on Amazon.com right now. So they are, if you're listening someplace outside of, of the area, you can definitely pick those up. And that information is also at InTheThickOfThings.com. Thank you, Barbara. Thank you, Paul. And folks, this is Art Zany Radio for the Imagination. I do hope that you continue to explore, check out your imagination, and always remember to add some art zany to your life. You've been listening to Art Zany, radio for the imagination with your host, Paula Granquist. Art Zany is brought to you each week by the Northfield Arts Guild and by the Paradise Center for the Arts in Faribault. The One. More music, better variety. The One.